back in those days, I think uh, it was just me who was writing them. And so I decided that over a 10-week block, I would write something about prayer. So it's years ago, and we wrote uh, 10 blockages to prayer. What hinders us in our prayer life? And that's certainly relevant for this morning's topic. Um, and so if you'd like a copy of that, you can get a copy of that. Just let me know. We'll let the office know, and they'll print one off for you. They don't cost anything, but they are filled with good biblical truth. This morning, I just wanted to do something different. I just want to answer five questions. I think I have more questions than that, but I'm not game to go more than five. <clears throat> and then in the process of answering those questions, and some of these questions might be yours, you in fact might already know the answers to all of these questions. And for some of you, you may have other questions that I haven't addressed. If you do have a question on this topic or this issue, then I encourage you to come and talk about it. Um, if it's of a theological or biblical nature, then go to Pastor David. If it's... If it's... Um, whatever... In fact, the Bible says you don't need to go to David or to me or to Alvin. You don't need to go to one of the elders in the church. You can go to Ewan. Um, You can. But the Bible says um, that we are to teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3.16. So, in fact, if you've got a question, you can ask the person, you know, a mate, a friend, pardon your life group or something, of encouraging and dealing with these issues together. So here are the questions that I've got, and some people have asked me these questions. That's where I got them from. Other questions is, I've made up for this talk. Why do we have to confess our sins if God already knows them? If God knows, then why do we have to tell him? It's a good question. Um, another person asked, if I confess my sins when I became a Christian, when I got converted, accepted Jesus, repented, believed, submitted, all of that, when I became a member of his family, a believer, do I still need to keep on confessing my sins after that? If I ask Jesus to forgive me for my sins, does he forgive me for all my sins? Yep. Well, then why do I need to confess? If he's already forgiven me. Um, how does sin affect my prayer life? That booklet on ten prayer blockers. How does sin affect my prayer life? Um, and then more as an aside is, how do people deal with their sin? And there's a few different answers and you may very well be one person who responds in some of those ways to some of your sin. And if so, then maybe we can help each other. Um, what about unknown sin? What about sins that I commit that I don't know about? What happens to them? Or how do I deal with that? If I don't know about it, how can I confess it? Yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah. Is all sin against God? In Psalm 51, David prays, in the NIV translation, he says... Um, against you, you only God have I sinned is all sin just against God well no David also sinned against Bathsheba and she, he sinned against Uriah and he sinned against his family and he sinned against the leaders who were arranged with Uriah's being killed in battle so what does it mean then All sin is all sin against God what does David mean when he says that um, what can I say to people when I'm talking to them and they don't want to confess, they don't want to repent, they, they're going to do it later. They delay it, they put it off. What can I say to them which would be helpful to them? Or what can I say which will um, challenge them a bit? Is there anything I can do about that? And we may not get through all of those. Um, and then finally, I want to finish with, what's a helpful way for me practically 
to incorporate this attitude and this practice of confession and repentance as part of my walk with Jesus, as certainly part of my prayer life, prayer experience, but also my general walk with him. Not just when I'm in a prayer time, but even uh, in that context of praying always, of that walking relationship of listening to God. What can I do to keep in tune, keep cleansed? So that's where we're going to go. If I haven't asked you a question, I'm sorry, but please feel encouraged to come and ask. Um, why do we have to confess our sins, is question one, if God already knows them? My answer is, and God certainly does know them, God knows all things, all that can be known, he knows. There are no secrets that can be kept from him. Um, but God certainly also wants us to own up, to confess, to admit it, to put it right. Why? Well, my answer is several, but primarily because God wants a relationship with us which is based upon truth, which is based upon walking in the light. It's based upon reality of openness and honesty in the relationship. He doesn't want a relationship with us where, from our perspective, we're hiding things, we're keeping secrets, um, because that's just a relationship which is introducing either lies or deceit or cover-ups or maybe even delusion into that relationship. So God wants this open, honest relationship with us and so confession is good for us. Confession is good for the soul. Um, confession also, when we are aware of our sin, when we admit, yep, I did that, uh, and we confess it to God, we agree with God, about with him about it, that it was wrong, I shouldn't have, um, then confession links us with the experience of forgiveness and God certainly wants us to be on the receiving end of receiving his forgiveness um, what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus God can only forgive those who are guilty you can't forgive the innocent because there's nothing to forgive so when I am aware of my guilt, of my offence, of my sin, and I confess it, then the blood of Jesus has been able to be applied to it, that he paid the penalty for my sin. God wants me to experience that closeness, that joy and peace and comfort of forgiveness experienced again and again, and through that process of being close with him. Confession is not a substitute for repentance. When I confess my sin, when I admit, yep, I did that, that's not a substitute for forsaking it, giving it up. It's one thing to admit I did wrong. It's another thing to stop. They should go together, to confess and to repent. But sometimes people can confess, but they don't repent. And the Bible has several examples of this. Here are some Charles Haddon Spurgeon, back in 1857, a long time ago, preached a sermon called Confession of Sin, a sermon with seven texts. Seven different texts. So not five, seven. And in it, he very cleverly, he just goes through the scriptures and he finds different characters who have used the words, I have sinned. But there is no follow-up, there's no follow-through. They use the words, but there's something wrong with it. And he gives seven examples, as I said. The top five are of that sort of this shallow confession of, um, without repentance. Uh, Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 27. 
He says, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. I have sinned this time. This is about the fourth, fifth or sixth plague in and he suddenly goes with a thunder and lightning and there's this massive storm and he's scared stiff. He says, oops, I have sinned this time. A sheer fear which is motivating and driving it for him. Um, but it's not long-lived. It's a shallow repentance. Um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in fact, another one will come up about this, talks about a doctor who, uh, in the course of his practice, was able to document a thousand cases where people who um, they thought were going to die, that they were terminal, but in fact recovered. There are a thousand instances, according to Spurgeon, where this doctor says, I was able to record these people's deathbed conversion. They repented, I have sinned, God forgive me. Um, if I was able to, I would live a life that would please and honour you, but you know I'm dying, I'm not going to live much longer. And a thousand times, so there's many more, but a thousand instances these people recovered. Question, how many of the people who prayed that prayer followed through? Well, according to this doctor, three people. Three people out of a thousand. Wow. What does that illustrate? Well, it at least illustrates that there are many times, not all times, but there are many times when people can, under a crisis, bend the knee. God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you, I'll promise you. You know, they have these crisis experience and they say the words, but for whatever reason, it's not heartfelt. It's not followed through. It's confession without repentance. Pharaoh did it. Balaam did it, the prophet Balaam. He says, Numbers 22, verse 34, I have sinned. And he says that to the angel of the Lord. You know, when he's going along on his donkey and the donkey stopped and going and he was going to kill it and then he sees the angel of the Lord. When he sees the angel of the Lord, he says, I have sinned. I did the wrong thing. Didn't change him. After that instant, didn't correct his behaviour. He still went on to pursuing a means to deceive Israel. So Balaam is a guy who, I have sinned, confesses, no repentance. King Saul, people debate whether he was a believer. I think he was a believer. But in this instance, 1 Samuel 15, when he says to Samuel, I have sinned, you know, I did this, I did that, and I did it because I feared the people. That's a bit like an excuse with your confession. I did this sin, but I did it because of that, because of my parents, because of my background, because of the situation. And it's certainly... a it's an excuse with the confession which weakens the sincerity and the depth of it. Achan, Joshua chapter 7, verse 20, 720, is the fourth example where he who had done something wrong, he certainly has a deathbed repentance when he says, I have sinned, and then that same day he's going to be executed. And even Judas, the fifth example, Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, he says, I have sinned. Even Judas Iscariot, I have sinned. There's an acknowledgement of it, but he of course goes out and then takes his own life filled with despair and I think the Bible would teach that he did not repent deeply or sincerely that he has gone to perdition a place of punishment Judas so you we are not to separate confession and repentance in the scriptures people have those characters that I've just outlined to you when we confess it's to be linked with repentance repentance is where I change my mind about this and I now agree with God that this was wrong and I need to stop it. I'm going to change the way I am living. It's a change of mind which leads to a change of the will, change of action. There's change. If there's no change, 
then you would have to certainly question the sincerity of the repentance. If I've confessed all of my sin once when I became converted, why do I need to keep on going and doing so? Because. <laughs> Jesus says so, Lord's Prayer. He prays, he teaches the disciples not only to pray this, but it's a model for prayer as well. And in that model and in his words to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. It's a prayer to pray daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our debts. That's on a daily basis. There's an expectation. The Lord Jesus teaches us that we will be daily confessing, repenting, asking God to forgive us for our sins. But the Bible also teaches us that we are saved in three senses. We are saved, past tense. We are being saved, present tense. We will be saved, future tense. Are saved, are being saved, will be saved. We are saved when we repent and we come to the Lord Jesus we ask for forgiveness, we deal with all of our sin and he pays the penalty for our sin. It's all gone. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus past is dealt with and at that point we are adopted into his family we are in a relationship with him he is our heavenly father we are his son or daughter child and his family we are in a committed bound bonded relationship we are in the process of being saved that's salvation this process is often in the Bible called sanctification I am being saved I am being delivered from sin which dominates or sin which has a power in my life if Jesus' death and salvation deals with sin's penalty this is going to deal with sin's power that I no longer have to sin it's a powerful influence and it's all around us but it's possible now excuse me while we walk in obedience to Jesus and are filled with his spirit that we can choose not to sin we can say no to sin before becoming a Christian we didn't have that ability or that power but Jesus is in the process of delivering us of saving us in the here and now and that's where confession fits in I'm not confessing my sins in order to receive salvation I'm confessing my sins in order to keep the fellowship close and open with God I am in a relationship with him through Jesus bound eternally I am in fellowship with him in the present through walking in obedience to him and when I stumble or stray or sin that I confess, that I repent and I forsake it and that reconnects me, if you like and I will be saved from sin's penalty, from sin's power from sin's presence sin will be gone that's future, I will be saved he guarantees it, he keeps me so the confession of sins why do I have to confess my sins if I've already repented and believed because in the present process of salvation he is working out in us, developing us to be more and more holy and confession is a significant part of it. That's my answer. How does sin affect my prayer life? Does it affect my prayer life? Well, the answer is yes, it does. Listen to these scriptures. Sin has um, <clears throat> this influence upon not our relationship but upon the fellowship. doesn't break the relationship. He is bound to me and he will not sever it. He has promised. He is a covenant-keeping God. But I can get out of step with him. I can offend him, hurt him. I can do all other sorts of things, defy and disobey. And that does affect my sense of his closeness or his nearness. I can be out of fellowship. 
Rhonda and I are married. We are in a relationship. This ring reminds me and it tells everybody else, especially all of the women in the world who are attracted to me, that I am not available. Now, I know there are guys who don't do that and blah, 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 but this is the way it's supposed to work. I am in a relationship with a woman, Rhonda, and we are bound till the day we die. Occasionally. Not very often. Just once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once at night. Rhonda will sometimes do something wrong. (laughs) She does. She might say something wrong, very rarely, but she might. She might do something wrong, far more often. She probably even thinks things that are wrong, most definitely. And I remind her that I am the senior pastor of a church. (laughs) That I cannot dwell in the tents of wickedness with one who has sin in their life. So there has to be confession, there has to be repentance. We're still in relationship. But when she is sinful like that, then we are not as close as we could be. The fellowship is not there. Now I know you probably won't believe this, but there are times when I do things wrong, say things wrong, get upset, hurt and huffy. And I shouldn't, but I do. And in those times, it's my fault that we're in relationship, but we're not in fellowship. We're not talking like we should. We don't feel as close to one another as we should, blah, blah, blah. And until she repents, it won't be able to be as close as we should and be. Does it make sense? Relationship, fellowship. It's like that with God. We're in a relationship with him. He is our Heavenly Father. We never lose that. That's never under threat. That's the fellowship this sense of closeness and walking with and so on. That if you are a born again, truly born again believer, then you have this relationship which is eternal and cannot be severed or broken. Now I don't want to complicate it, but certainly there are people who say they're in that relationship, but they're really not. They say they are. And there's all other sorts of issues to go into there. So how does sin, my sin, affect this fellowship with God now that I'm in relationship with him. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 says, Our iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins make him hide his face so he will not hear. Sin causes a distance. Sin separates. Sin causes us, God, not to hear us because he wants to talk about this sin which is in our life. That's on his agenda. And once you've dealt with that, well, then he's open to hearing all other sorts of things we want to talk to him about. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not listen. 1 Peter chapter 3, two verses. Verse 7, verse 12. The second one, verse 12 says, 1 Peter 3, 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then for those of you guys, particularly if you are married, this verse is for you. This is in a context, 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter is talking about wives and husbands and how they should relate together. There are six verses for the wives and there is only one verse for the men. That's significant balance, I think. And first six verses, I think, contain one of the best statements in the whole New Testament 
about a wife's attitude to her husband. Verse 6, it talks about where, I've told you before, where Sarah calls Abraham, her husband, Lord, Master. I think that's appropriate. Rhonda often calls me Lord and Master. (laughs) Not quite with the tone that I would like, but nonetheless. Verse 7. You only need one verse for the guys because it's enough. The responsibilities are great. Listen to this, fellas. Husbands, in the same way, as he's just been talking about how the wife should treat the husband, so in the same way, fellas, you've got to look after your wife. Treat your wife with consideration. There's one. As a person who is not only just physically weaker, but somebody who is very precious and valuable and you are to look after, treat her with consideration. Show honour to her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Consider to honour And then Peter, tucked away in this passage, it is one little line. In this way, nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, if you are having problems with your wife, if you are out of step with her, if you're not being considerate of her, if you're not treating her as uh, her spiritual uh, partner, as trying to look after her, then as far as God's concerned, he doesn't listen to you. Let's fix that up. Do what you're supposed to do at home with your wife. And then I'll listen to you. And the implication is that if that's not right, then there's a hindrance, there's a blockage. Talk about that in those ten blockages. That's certainly one of them. So what does sin do? Well, it hampers, it hinders, it obstructs this fellowship with God, which is why we need to have an attitude of openness and of being willing to confess and to repent, to get rid of it, to put it aside. Psalm 51 is certainly a great example of that sort of confession in the Scriptures. What do people do with their sin? Well... When David committed his sin with Bathsheba, Bible scholars and commentators both say, all say, most say, when he did it, had the affair with Bathsheba, tried the cover-up process, you know, manipulating Uriah and then eventually having to arrange circumstances for Uriah to be killed, and Nathan comes to confront him about it, that there's a long period of time, months. In fact, they often come up with 12 months. It's about a year this process goes over. I'm not sure exactly how they arrive at that, but they pretty consistently get to that point. And it's through David being confronted that he decides to deal with his sin. What had he been doing with his sin for 12 months? Well, if you go back to Psalm 32, it talks about, I hid my sin, I buried it behind me. And what did it do? Uh, just It consumed me, it ate me away on the inside, says in Psalm 32. In this psalm, he even talks about the impact of it. What do people do with their sin? All sorts of things. What do you do with your sin? Well, some people ignore it. Some people minimise it, make light of it. Everybody does it. Don't worry about it. Some people try to excuse it, rationalise it. Some people try to escape their sin by drugs or alcohol or other means to try to decrease the pain and the realisation of it, the guilt. Some people try to atone for it. I did these bad things, but if I do these good things, that'll make up for the bad things. It doesn't actually. We should be doing the good things, but we have to address our sin and so on. Some people blame others for it, like Adam did in the garden. He blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent had nowhere else to go, did he? He was eager to blame Some people try to repress it, like I said before with David. 
um, act like it never happened. In all of these ways, it's trying to cover it up, to conceal it. And Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, those who cover their sin in those ways will not prosper. But those who confess and forsake them will receive mercy. Don't conceal it. Don't cover it up. Don't try to pray, play pretending with God, but be honest with him and open with him. He wants this close, intimate fellowship with you. And sin only serves as a, a barrier between that relationship. What about unknown sin? We all have sins that we commit that we don't know we've committed. What do we do with those? This week, I offended and hurt another believer. I didn't mean to, and I didn't know that I had. A day or day and a bit later, he sent me an email in which he tells me that he was pretty miffed, he was pretty annoyed with me. He went on to tell me how godly he was by the way he controlled himself. That didn't help me a lot with his attitude. <laughs> so what did I do? I had committed a sin to him, I had offended him, but I didn't know. Well, I sent him an email. Like I told the 830 I told him to grow up and get over it. No, I didn't. No, I, I sent him an email and I said, I, I apologise, I am sorry, please forgive me. I did not mean to offend you. That's not what I meant by what I did. Um, uh, it's a cultural difference as well, so for that person in that culture, it has a different meaning. I said, oh, it doesn't mean that for me. And I'm sorry, it, it doesn't matter. It's, that's how you understood it and I'm so sorry for that and please forgive me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what about other sins? Because not everybody's going to send you an email or a text or tell you. And not even God tells you everything. Not yet. The Lord is incredibly patient with us. He will tell you what sin you have committed in his time. And when you ask him, Lord, what have I done today which is wrong? He'll tell you. But he won't tell you everything. Because I don't think we could cope. I've used this over the years and I tried to give it to the 8.30 service. Imagine your conscience or your whatever, your life. Let's stick with conscience, your brain. Uh, like a big circle. And draw a line across it about two-thirds of the way up. And the bottom two-thirds, you can shade that in or colour it in a different colour and there is a top third which is clear and open. The bottom two-thirds for me represents my subconscious part, the part of my life that I'm not aware of. It's there. Um, and it's where all these other things go, these hidden sins, these hidden faults that I have that I'm not aware of yet. What God holds me accountable for in my fellowship with him is this top third, what I am aware of, what I am conscious of, that I am to keep that clear on a regular daily basis and sometimes deeper cleansing times. What the Holy Spirit does over the course of time in this process of sanctifying me, of keeping me in close fellowship with him, is when I've got this right, then occasionally he will drop down into this bottom two-thirds and bring to my conscious awareness a fault, an issue or a sin that I may not have been aware of. And he'll say, let's work on that. Let's deal with that one. And it's that continual process of him bringing things to the conscious level and us wrestling with it, confessing it, repenting of it and forsaking it. That's the process of sanctification that he is helping me deal with my sin and all of us as we follow the Lord Jesus um, 
So what do people do with their sin? All sorts of things to hide and conceal it. God doesn't want us to do any of that. He wants us to be clear and open in this top third, as honest with him as we can. What do we do with the unknown sins? Well, God will bring them to our conscious level as uh, in his own time and when he's ready to do that and until that time. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. We get this automatic extension of sin being covered or being dealt with under the blood of Jesus. But once we become aware of it, then it becomes an issue that we have to deal with with us and God. There are three ways that we can deal with sin. We can cover it, like we've spoken about, try to hide it. We can confess it and we can conquer it. It's this area that we need to be in. Confessing it, Lord, I know this is wrong and I've done it and I want to conquer it. I want to forsake it. I want to change it in my life and to ask his assistance and help in that process. How do you do that? Well, the Bible teaches us by abiding in him, walking closely with him, letting his spirit fill you. Galatians 5.16 says, Live or walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Are you covering your sin? Or are you conquering your sin? Jesus wants us to keep these open channels with him. Is all sin against God? Against you, you only have I sinned. I think what David means is that all sin affects God. But not all sin affects others. I can sin against other people, Lord's Prayer, forgive me for my sins, as I forgive those who have sinned against me. David will probably talk more about that tonight. So we can sin against one another, but when I sin against you, I also sin against God. Sin has this, always has this vertical dimension and sometimes has the horizontal dimension. But it always has the vertical. It's always against God because he's our creator. He's the one who made us. And so when we live in a way where we sin, we affect and offend him. In fact, what we are doing is we are bringing... If it's in our mind, we're bringing our fantasies or our sinful thoughts into the very temple where the Holy Spirit is. That offends him, quenches him. When we think, say and do wrong things, sinful things, we're in fact working against the Holy Spirit who is at work in us to bring us to be more like Jesus. And so when we sin, we are actively opposing his work in us. That's what sin means. That's he's not Lord, I am. The word sin has I in the middle of it and that's exactly what it is. I am at the centre. I am important. And when you analyse what your sin is, often you'll find it's that. That's something to do with me, wanting my way. I confess to the earlier service and you've heard me talk about it lots anyway. One of the areas of my life where I wrestle, I get bouts of goodness and then I stumble is impatience. I can become very impatient and it depends what's going on for me and everything and one of the places I can consistently get impatient is when I'm driving because there are a lot of slow drivers out there and I just find I get irritated and impatient. What's behind my impatience? thought about it and it shocked me to realise pride. Pride is behind my impatience. It's not um, overt, it's not out there in your face, it's far more subtle. 
But that's what's the motivation behind it. The reason I'm impatient with a slow driver or a slow queue at the supermarket or whatever, the reason I'm impatient with somebody else's slowness is because who do they think they are? Do they know who I am? And they're slowing me down? See, it's pride. That's I think I'm more important than them. And isn't that a disgusting thought? But that's what's behind my impatience. So I need to be rebuked and corrected and, hang on, let's have an adjustment shift here. I'm no more important than any other person. Everybody's entitled to be on the road to do it the right way. They just need to get out of my way. They'll be happy, I'll be happy, everybody's happy. So you can do that with the Lord too. Ask him what's behind it. So um, what's helpful? Let me finish with that. Not sure if I've missed some other questions, but you can come and talk to me. Time's gone. Um, what's helpful? Two things. Number one, at some point of the day, at the end of the day is a good time, but at any point during the day is to do a review, to just very honestly, openly, verbally, with God, just say, Lord, how am I travelling with you today? How's our fellowship? Is there something I have done that has hurt, offended or displeased you? Tell me. Keep open channels and ask him and, and listen. And the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind, yeah, when you did this, when you did that, when you said this, whatever. He'll bring it to your mind and then it's up to you. What are you going to do about it? Don't conceal it. Confess it and conquer it. Repent. Forsake it. Move on. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is certainly do that on a daily basis. Keep channels with God. Lord, I want to be clean and open to you. And you don't have to wait till the end of the day. You can do it at any point during the day. And the more specific you are, I find the better. D.L. Moody used to say, you committed sins one by one, you should confess them one by one. Not just simply, Lord, forgive me for my sins today. Full stop. But think about the sin and what you've done and confess and repent of those specifically. It's helpful. Secondly, every now and again, and it's up to you, whether it's weekly, monthly, or every now and again, do a thorough, take time out. You need to do it on the weekend when you've got some free time or a night when you've got a few hours. And this time ask the Lord to certainly go through the same process but to go through your whole life and take a pen and a paper and write down what he says and then think about it. It's like, you know when you're at home and you clean the bedrooms and the lounge room and stuff, you vacuum, you keep it clean. But every now and again, maybe once a year, whatever, you do a steam clean. You go for a deeper clean. You try to get to the very roots of the shag pile or carpets or whatever you've got. So with confession, I think it's a, a helpful thing to take time out. I try and have the things that I call retreats, which is where I get alone with God for a significant number of hours and I try to listen. I read his word, I may have another book, but I have my journal and I try to listen. What is there that's going on and what do I need to be doing about it? And some of those have been focused upon a lot of confession where God has really told me about a fair few things. And ask the Lord, what's behind that sin? I confess impatience, Lord. What's behind it? Why am I always impatient? Why? And comes to my mind, pride. What's behind sarcastic comments? You know, comments that are spoken with a view to, not being funny, but with a view to being hurtful. Those comments. What's behind flirtatious comments? What's behind that? What's lingering in the heart 
What's behind me missing regularly my time with reading the Bible? What's behind me uh, overeating, indulging my own physical appetites? Well, ask. Listen. See what the Lord would say to you. Ask to be forgiven, to be washed and cleansed, for sin to be removed. And always remain open to God's whispers when he will prompt you. When you, in walking with him, he will say immediately, you need to deal with that. Uh, You need to apologise about having said that or done that or whatever. Listen to the Spirit speaking to you and respond accordingly. I hope that's helpful. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we have uh, discussed this morning how all sin is ultimately against you, primarily against you. We ask, Lord, that you might deal with sin in our life, that you might bring it to our conscious awareness, give us soft hearts, malleable wills, to honestly call it what it is, and then to make a choice to conquer it, to forsake it, to not continue in doing it. We ask, Lord, that you might help us to walk very closely with your spirit. In days of this week, help us take some time out to do some thorough cleansing. Help us to turn from sin and to turn to you, to walk closely with you. Thank you that we have a relationship with you through Jesus, that we are your sons and daughters. And I pray, Lord, I know it's your desire, so I pray that you might help us not just to have a good relationship, but to have close fellowship, close intimacy. Help us to experience that this week, and especially in our times when we're talking and listening to you in prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.